So, all right, we are back for our Q&A panel. You can still text in some questions. I will try to get to as many as possible. We did have a couple new ones, which is fantastic. Um, if you guys want to grab microphones, we'll share, and then, we'll share and then we will uh, kind of go through the line in case some people don't know who you are because they weren't in breakout sessions. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Dr. Steve uh, did have to leave again because of the scheduling switch. We had some things that couldn't, uh, couldn't be moved. He like had a water hole to get to. Grandson's birthday party. There's that. I know. you got to hold the mic, Lord. <laughs> there's, no, there's no win for me in that. Never mind. Well, be fun. <laughs> oh, no, it's good. And um, Al, we'll start with you because we know Autumn had to leave as well, your yeah. wife. But go ahead and uh, say who you are, what your ministry is, and how people can find out more about your ministry and what you're doing besides going to see with the table afterwards, which is sure. open. So. Uh, I'm Al Ray, and uh, my wife Autumn and I uh, started Marriage Team. It's a ministry where we train Christian couples to be marriage coaches and then provide coaching services with those couples to the community. Uh, we train around the country where we're invited to train, and we've trained three different times in Europe. If you want more information, the website is marriageteam.org, and we do have a table, and we'll be out there right afterwards. If you have any questions, we'd love to talk to you. Go ahead, guys. Hi, this is uh, Gil and... Brenda. <laughs> Stuart with Restored and Remarried, and uh, we are excited to be here. Uh, I, I actually got here just a few minutes ago because I actually am a counselor full-time, and so I had sessions this morning that I couldn't cancel because the last time we had anyhow. So here we are. Uh, so our, our location to find us for more information is restoredandremarried.com. Uh, our ministry is specifically to step families in remarriage. We counsel uh, remarriage couples and step families is really, really kind of our specialty. What more do you want to add to that? Well, and that we meet with all marriages, all couples, not just step families. So yeah, we have a free podcast and YouTube channel. So check us out. My name is Scott LaPierre. I'm a senior pastor in Woodland, about 25 minutes north. And this is my wonderful wife, Katie. And most of our lives are committed to our church and our church family. But about maybe like six to eight times per year, we are involved with conferences and speaking, and we enjoy going with our children to sell uh, books we've written and hopefully minister to people. And we're available through our website, scottlapierre.org. I think I put my website on the handouts that I provided today. And my wife's website is katielapierre.org, and we're always privileged to hear from anyone that contacts us and pray for you. And so uh, it would be great to just have you in our lives in that, in that way. We're Mike and Laurie Sheffield. We um, run in. Uh, marriage ministry actually out of Lake Bible Church in Lake Oswego, Oregon. Uh, our website is agapemarriage.org. Uh, we have a radio show. Can I say what the radio is on? Yeah. We have a radio show on the radio. <laughs> if you're we looking for talk, we, we also you're have, not going to find it on Way FM. They want us, we'll go over. Yeah, it's yeah that's true. That's actually. true. Yeah. All right. We, we, and uh, we also have podcasts, SoundCloud. You can, but if you can find any information about us on uh, agapemarriage.org. One more thing. And it is actually a privilege to be up on this stage with these people because these are people that love the Lord and love what happens in your marriages. And so I'm, it's an honor to be up here with you guys. So I just have to say thank Sounds you for each of all, all you do. It's okay. good. All right. Let's start uh, rocking through this. The first one was actually for Steve, but we're going to ask down the line because I think it's a good one. Steve talked about uh, giving gifts, and one of the questions was, what was the three best gifts that he felt like he received from his wife and that his wife received from him. So I'm going to go down the line for you guys and ask that first about, and you don't have to give three, but you know, some, and that maybe one that's a, a, a bigger gesture and maybe one that's something ongoing. Maybe we'll narrow it down to two as far as gifts. So these are physical gifts because my, the best gift I got was my wife. Actually. <laughs> I was waiting for that. That's like the Jesus answer in Sunday yes, school. It, Come yeah. on, man. It's Jesus. I, the best <laughs> was Jesus. This, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, well, actually, Lori brought it up at our last session. Uh, she just recently started this thing where she has a calendar. Uh, it's a whiteboard calendar as you go out the door to our garage um, with, to get in the cars and go, where every day she writes something she loves about me. Number one, it's amazing that she has come up with something every day. Um, but it is, it's something that, that every month I've taken a picture of it. Um, and I, it's, a, it's not an extravagant gift, but, but uh, it's something that I love. 
My favorite gift is Mike is truly the spiritual leader of our home, and he has given me the gift of humility. I have seen it over and over, and he has given me the gift of grace. And yes, that does sound like the Jesus answer, but he genuinely lives out what he says. And it's huge. It's a huge, it's a big deal. And he, and he admits when he's not doing it well. And that's a big deal. It's a big gift. She did buy me some golf clubs a couple of weeks ago, too. <laughs> okay, I would say Katie's pregnancies can be hard. And even if they're not hard, they're just hard. I don't know any women who like to be pregnant. And she has given uh, uh, seven children. And I'm just very thankful for the sacrifices that she makes for our home and for me. And um, I love my children so much. And so I just can't think of much better things than to have those children be loved by such a great mother. He clearly has the gift of praise and uh, words of affirmation, so that was going to be my favorite gift. We actually get mad at each other if the other person buys something. So I don't think we've bought something for each other in at least like 10 years. That's not our love language. <laughs> okay, this isn't going to sound spiritual. <laughs> Are we in church? We're in church. My most memorable thing that Gil's ever done for me is he has given me a bag of horse manure. <laughs> but it was warm. It was like, it was so cool. And to keep it short. That is not getting better. That does not make it I'm better. I'm really excited to hear the rest yeah, of this story. It doesn't story. sound spiritual. Horse manure is like a comfort smell to me because I love horses. Wow. And that's more important to me than roses because he really had to go out of his way to do that. Yeah, you can't buy that. You can't for no. nine ninety nine on the corner at Valentine's Day. Yeah, and, that, so. and he warmed it up too for you. <laughs> Brendan, you know that Mike's a gastroenterologist, right? <laughs> Just saying. Hey, Dr. Mike. <laughs> anyway, that was yeah. So on another practical note. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was quite a, a quite, the people's oh, look at me, the people's look at me is like, what do you that's want? Not, that's not one you can recommend for everybody to do so, for yeah. their spouses, You right? really need okay. to know your spouse to make that to be a memorable gift. And in my case, I remember a gift that you gave me just before we were married, and it was a piece of rebar. And it was really interesting because it was a little piece of rebar that reminded me that I was in a situation on a missions trip where I had a fender bend over a wheel on a travel trailer that I was hauling a couple tons of building material and it had gone over and I was stuck. And I said, Lord, I need something and I need it now. And I went into the shop and they said, we can't help you, buddy. I walked back out right where the wheel was at before and there was a piece of rebar where I could pry the, the, the metal back away from the wheel so that I could make it to the rest of the, to the destination. Mm -hmm. When I told Brenda that story, a few days later, in a box was a piece of rebar, and I still have that rebar now because God supplied not only you, but he also supplied something that I needed in that moment. Wow, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised Brenda didn't give him to, to hit him with or something. You know? <laughs> no. Okay. Um, uh, you know, there's a scripture about iron sharpening iron, and uh, autumn is my gift of sharpening me. So uh, we do ministry together, and we sharpen each other in the process, and that's been a real gift for me over the years to um, learn and grow, and she's, she helps me do that. Hmm. All right, we're going to jump in heavy. So there's, there's going to be some fun and there's some heavy uh, intermixed here. Uh, question about uh, spouse who's been unfaithful and how, how to get back into that. And there's kind of a couple questions that I'm combining into, into one. Uh, one involving uh, emotional, emotional unfaithfulness and then how to bring that together. Um, and then creating intimacy again after trust has been broken and getting into that. So that, that can be open to anybody who wants to, to jump in. I would say don't do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. Your, your heart's hurt, and it's okay to be hurt, um, but you can't do it on your own. You're going to have to be on your knees praying and asking for the Lord's help because that's not something that you can go through on your own. And the betrayer has to be willing to do whatever it takes to make you feel comfortable again. And, and there's, no, there's a rule that you can't say, you know, we've talked about this, we're done. That's, that's off the table. So I, I would say that it just takes a lot of work, but you can't do it on your own. Yep. I mean, along those lines, it's, it, it's a, 
that's an awful situation to, to be in. But it is not a, um, it's not an untenable situation either. It, you know, this day and age, something like that happens, emotional or physical or otherwise. And most of the people out in the world will say, ah, get rid of the bum, whichever one it was, male or female. And, and God doesn't say that. He, he says in Malachi, I hate divorce. And um, he redeems everything we do. And, and um, he will make the betrayer better if they desire to be so. Uh, and he will definitely make the betrayed better if they are on their knees and asking for his help. But it is, uh, it's going to be time. Uh, it's going to be humility. Um, it's going to be a request of forgiveness and a heart of forgiveness to grant that forgiveness when it's asked for. And like Lori said, it, you know, forgiving somebody doesn't make it go away. The whole forgive and forget thing, that's, that's bogus. Um, there are still ramifications. Um, but forgiveness at least opens the door to reconciliation. And, and that, to me, is where it starts. I mean, we have all been forgiven by our Lord and Savior for things we've done. Uh, we, and we need to uh, exemplify that to our spouse. Do we all answer? What's the well, whoever wants to answer doesn't have to be everybody. Yeah, but. Let me, from a coaching perspective, a lot of the forgiveness, if the couple, we've had those situations with coaching, and it's about helping the couple to reframe their thinking around the issue and to understand what role bitterness is playing in their reconciliation. So as an, as an outside um, influencer, by asking questions around is the bitterness, is the hurt serving you well now? Um, what is it going to take to establish trust? What would that look like? Helping them come up with ways that they can physically take to reestablish trust. And it could be different for everybody. I mean, it might be checking phone. It might be passwords to accounts, all sorts of things. But as a coach, we wouldn't tell them what that was. We would help them figure out what it was going to take to rebuild trust and, uh, and help the husband or the husband or the, the one that uh, um, had the affair to understand the, that there are consequences. And while they may want to just get it over with and be done with it because of the shame involved, uh, that it does take time. And the one that was the victim um, will need to have trust rebuilt and it will be a, probably a long process. That's good. Yeah, but it definitely can be done. And like I think with what Lori said too about you know you can't do it on your own, and that and that goes definitely for spiritually speaking, and then also probably physically yeah. too. Again, all these different resources that are up here and out there to help with that one resource that that didn't uh, have a physical presence here, but there's some flyers. Hope after betrayal is a wonderful, wonderful ministry dealing with that, especially for women who who are on that side of things um, to help you work through that process. So. Definitely, definitely reach out. Um, another one dealing with um, conflict in the family. So I know we've talked about conflict relationally. Uh, so let's talk about conflict in the family two ways. One uh, would be, I would say, probably extended family conflict, like a family of origin, as, as you would say, yeah. I think, Mike. And the other being probably internal conflict, like with kids involved and things like that. So uh, anybody that wants to jump in on that. Okay, what does it mean that we're willing to grab all of those? Um, yes, that is something we have experienced. My mother-in-law didn't, didn't like me, and my family didn't like Mike. And so we, ha we came into marriage with a lot of mess. Uh, 15 years after we were married, my mother-in-law came to live with us. And uh, this is the one that didn't like me. So just picture how that went. Mm -hmm. um, and that, and fit, fit, Family conflict is, is hard. What, what our goal should be is being disciple builders and disciple makers of our circle of influence, whoever's closest to us, and that's our spouse. And when you're hating your spouse because of that mother or because of those, that family, it's not going to go well. It's not going to go well. And so that's another thing that you just have to be in communication about, talk about it. Um, we, we had to really work really hard to be a united front against the families and and it's difficult to do that and again we had to invite we had to invite Jesus in because when we tried to do it on our own for a good <laughs> couple of years it, it didn't go well and so we needed to invite Jesus in on that I think um, Lori's right it, both both of our families were difficult families but I and and one of the things we've told our two married daughters now um, is that uh, 
they and their husband are the family and we're the extended family. And I think too often this day and age, um, people think the honoring father and mother um, goes on until, um, in, 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 until infinity. And, um, and really, you know, God calls us in Genesis 2 to become one. They leave their mother and father and cleave to each other. And too often, these family issues, that, that hasn't happened. It's, well, but mom always does this on Christmas, so we have to be there. No, you don't have to be there, actually. It's, it's important for this relationship to be the primary one. Um, and then that's the extended family. And, and um, Scott can speak to that a lot more eloquently than I can about honoring father and mother. But I'm a firm believer that you can honor your father and mother by maintaining the relationship, but not kowtowing to that relationship. When it comes to conflict, I don't know if it's the Hatfields and McCoys, but um, I think two things run through my mind when you, when you say that. Conflict is born out of a longing and a desire that I'm not getting. And sometimes that longing and that desire may be completely a, an expectation that is out of reality. So kind of monitor yourself on that. The other thing that I hear in my office frequently when it comes around to conflict is, is that somebody hasn't set a boundary. And so I ask the question, give me the definition between boundary and barrier. And people go, what? I go, well, think about it. A barrier has no entrance, no exit, and no way in or out. And the conflict then remains within you. If you have a boundary, it has a door, a window, and a gate. You can knock on the gate or the door and say, here are my conditions. You may come in. Or, no, those conditions have still not been met. No, you may stay out. It remains on a positive and a respectful place. So if that conflict is around something that you need to draw a boundary, don't get that confused with a barrier because then there is no reconciliation. Um, there's so many verses on peace and being peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. I, in, in my book, one of my entries is the peace-pursuing mother. And um, in, I can't remember what verse it is where it says pursue peace with one another. But in the Greek, that word has the idea of chasing after. And so it's very intentional. It's very passionate. And so especially within the four walls of our home, being in ministry now for about 12 years together, when I see people even in the grocery store, I think they have problems. It's just a question of what kind. Mm -hmm. Everyone's a mess, and especially within the four walls of their home. So that's where we have to be pursuing peace the most, with our children, with our spouse. My personality is to avoid things. His is to pursue things. Um, learning the people in your home with seven kids, I'm learning their personalities. How can I be at peace with each of them? And first, how can I be at peace with my husband? And becoming good apologizers is one of the best ways to permeate peace in the home and learning to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Katie, okay, let's stick with you because this next one's for you and Scott. Okay. Let's talk about the problems in your home. No, um, no, this was a question that was specifically, uh, they already knew this one was coming, so it's fine. Um, so how do you handle submitting to your husband's decision when he isn't the one who deals with the fallout? An example being like a uh, kid who can't go to a program they want to and the resulting emotional fallout that falls on mom, school messes caused by uh, the teacher was supporting it, falls on mom, siblings fighting, falling on mom, old dad, you know, maybe just is not there because he's at work or whatever it is and, and isn't feeling the immediate pain of the decision that's caused. And anybody can step up. We'll start with you guys. Yeah, so I homeschool too, so I'm with the kids a lot. And we, one of the most common sayings I say is, Daddy said no to this. Daddy said yes to this. Daddy doesn't want this. Daddy does want that. That's a common thing in my home. And then the and then that tells the children a couple things. One, that hopefully I'm supporting him and carrying out his wishes at home. And then secondly, this is what your father wants. And so if they keep pursuing with me, rather, children are great manipulators. And they're really good at trying to get parents against each other. And they'll often come to the mother because they know the mother's going to go to the dad and go, it's not fair. So, you know, Johnny, we have a Johnny. Johnny wants to <laughs> do this. And why can't you do that? And Johnny knows, oh, mom's going to go work dad. And get, and get it so that I get to go to this thing. And so sometimes women, I think this emotional fallout, they're making it worse for themselves because they're not cutting off 
where it needs to be cut off and saying, this is what your daddy wants. If you have a problem with it, go talk to your daddy. And then another thing with my uh, daughters, I say, someday you're going to most likely be married and you'll have to submit to a husband and you're not going to like it and you get to practice now with your daddy. <laughs> and so the better you get at not getting what you want now and being content with that and thankful, the better you'll be as a wife. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'll share something that might sound unrelated, but then I hope we'll connect the dots. I have a friend, and he was talking about this one time he was speeding to the hospital, and he thought there was a really good reason for him to be speeding. He was breaking the law, and he said, but if I had gotten a ticket, I would have been willing to pay, pay for that ticket because I was breaking the law, so I was willing to accept the consequences. And I sort of apply that to leadership in the home, whereas if I make a decision that there's going to be some um, pushback or resistance or repercussions from it, then I also need to communicate to Katie that I'm willing to try to receive as much of the aggression for that decision as possible. And so it was funny, Paul had shared that question with me out there in the foyer. Did he share the questions with you guys ahead of time? No, Anyone no we don't have any conflict. <laughs> <laughs> so my daughter happened to hear Paul share this question. And so Rhea said, hey, Daddy, that's kind of like when you tell me that I can tell my friends that it's your fault I can't do this. And I said, yeah, and I've told my children, I've said, you don't have to be the bad guy. I can be the bad guy. My shoulders are big enough for all the children in the church to be upset with me, you know? And so I would just say to the fathers, if you're willing to make a decision in your home, then you've got to be willing to try to own as much of the, the consequences from it as possible. And if you tell your children that they can't do something, then I would also encourage you to tell your children that your children can go and tell their friends that this is what my father has decided, or this is what my parents said, and so then you can end up um, being the bad guy. And that's the best way that I can try to support Katie when I feel like the, she might have to take some of the responsibility for my decisions. Good. Um, so I'm, I'm going to answer one of these questions and then kind of combine it with another question, because there are several questions on, well, how do we talk about this, or how do we bring stuff up? And I think... Now, with all those questions, now is the time to do that because it's fresh. You have some new tools to try. I think that if there's, there's questions on what the expectations are, on some things that you've been working on, that there's conflict, and you're like, okay, how do I bring this up? This is the best time fresh off of this because now you're both kind of in the same headspace and the same page. So there's several questions that, that revolve around that. Um, so I just want to put that out there. If, if you're just wondering, how do I get this started? Let's all right now plan on, there's going to be some conversations happening after this that are going to lead to great things, but may be uncomfortable, right? Yeah. It's going to be ripping yes. off some band-aids, you know? So, and like Lori said, if there's some things that need, need some help that, that go outside of that, then, then let's definitely talk and keep getting some resources. But I, I think now, it, now is the safe time to just bring it up. So we'll do that. But moving on in relation to that too, if you are getting ahead and we'll use, um, I'll start with you because they're using uh, some of your terms about implementing a plays or agreeing on plays. Um, you know, if, if you guys get home and you start talking and then you know something needs to change but you get stuck in that process of, okay, we've, we've taken it this far but now we can't agree on what to do next. How, how do those kinds of decisions get made? How do you move forward past some, like you, uh, like the barriers and you know the the plateaus that you might they may come into here you know soon after well i th I think the uh, the assumption there is that you've learned how to to listen to one another to really understand what what each person feels about the situation, and when you really understand your teammate, most times we don't intend to have the consequences that our behavior has on our teammate. We will do things with, with good intentions and the outcomes are negative. It's not because we meant to do ill, it's because we didn't understand. So if you can understand what the issue is from your teammate's perspective, that provides a fertile ground for exploring options that you can agree on. That you can, that if you explore enough options, there's going to be something that you can get excited about to try to do together to get different results. And that's what a coach would do, is they would help facilitate that process. But if you get stuck, you, you can ask yourself <laughs> the great question, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus want us to do? Think about it from a different perspective, and that will give you some insights in how to proceed. 
Um, so that would just be some tips on how to think through your own issues and uh, look for a different perspective where you can get uh, collaboration and, and agreement. Uh what I'd like to say, I, that's brilliant. I love that. That's, yeah, see? Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> and I would add to that that if you think about it, there's three of you in your marriage. There's you, your spouse, but there's the marriage itself. Okay, maybe four because Jesus is in there. Okay, for sure. <laughs> Definitely, you got to have Jesus. But the point is, is it's not just about you and what you need. Is what is it that your marriage needs? Is this decision, this argument, is this the hill I'm going to die on? Which sometimes you might have those hills, and that's cool. And But be, being able to understand why that's important to me is important. But to ask yourself in the middle of a conflict, does, how is our marriage, how is the we going to benefit from this decision? And when I put it in that perspective, sometimes it's like, you know what? It really doesn't matter. It's what's best for the team. And I find that when I... I don't know if submit is the word or I, I reframe it to the marriage, not just Gil or me. It, it reframes it differently. Would you agree or not? <laughs> and yes, those genes don't make you look fat. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, because if it's the me and you, we don't get an us. And if we're stuck, then where do we go from here other than we both dig in and we don't either one of us get what we want or need, nor does God get glorified when everybody's looking at us going, what's your problem? So in essence, if I'm going to believe in Jesus that he is going to help me crucify my flesh for the betterment of the marriage, then that is what a husband is to do, is to die to his flesh and uplift his wife. But then in reality, the, the, the inverse works. I actually do end up getting what I wanted because you are served and we get a we. Um, I can tell you what not to do. Don't do it when things are heated. That would be the first one. But Mike said something earlier in one of our groups that I really liked. You know, you have a whole lifetime to know your spouse. There are going to be time-sensitive things that you do have to come up with a decision by a certain time. But you have a whole lifetime to process some of this stuff. That doesn't mean you get to put it on the back burner and say, we're not going to deal with it again. But it might be something that you have to say, hey, let's, let's take a little bit of time to pray about this, and then let's come back together again and talk about it. And, and honestly, if one answer is, is never in a nice place of agreement with the two of you, then it's probably not the right answer. And that, that, that goes back to Scott's submission. There is going to be a point where we just have to be willing to say, because my husband's leading that way, I'm, I'm okay with that, or I'm good with that, or I'm going to be okay with that, because that's how he believes, and he believes strongly that I'm going to trust that he's leading our family. But there's going to be, if it's, if it's a real big negative and you just feel so strongly that it's not an okay thing, I would say that it's probably not an okay thing. And so just take some more time, process it, pray about it, and then come back together. I'd like to share something that I hope you'll all believe when I say this. Getting marriage counseling is a sign of strength. Mm. And it's a sign of strength because it's a sign of humility. Mm. Pride prevents people from wanting to go get help or get marriage counseling. And so sometimes people will have a, a conflict within their relationship and they're too proud to go get help. And that's not a sign of strength that they didn't go to individuals that God could have used. And so I hope you're all plugged into a local church that offers biblical counseling. Um, if you're not, there's resources available at this conference, uh, individuals who are willing to work with you. But the reason that it's a sign of strength is because you're saying that your marriage is more important than your pride. And you're saying that your relationship with Christ and your relationship with your spouse is more important than your pride. And so don't let that be the op, because sometimes you can talk and go round and round and round and round and round, and it's probably not going to be resolved until you apply one of the principles in scripture that there's wisdom in many counselors or that God has provided um, individuals who he can use to, to speak. I think of that conflict in Philippians between uh, Yodia and Syntyche, and Paul says that they needed to introduce a counselor into that situation to bring unity or harmony between them, and I think that often that can be the case within the marriage relationship. It always really grieves me as a pastor when I learn that some couple has had problems for like two years, five years, or ten years, and they never got to, uh, came to get help about that. And, and you know, I would 
say that it doesn't have to necessarily be formalized counseling. I think we should all have someone that's gone before us in marriage and has come behind us in marriage. We should have those relationships because it's really important that we can talk to someone else. I'm not against counseling, but I also think that it can be a mentor relationship. It can just be a relationship, but you need to be in relationships with someone else that you know loves Jesus and has the best intention for your marriage, that they, they care about your marriage like you care about your marriage. Not, um, you know, our, our friends at the gym are great friends at the gym, but you know what? They're not going to give me the best advice. And so that you want to be very careful with what that counseling looks like, right? And it would be someone else that, that you know, know is going to put Jesus at the center and the forefront. And then I would say, think if, if you really want your marriage to improve, this is what you need to say. If you're a man, you need to say what male friend in my life will tell me that I need to repent and go back to my wife and ask for her forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And if you're a woman, you need to say what girlfriend in my life will care about me and my marriage and my relationship with the Lord enough that she will say to me, you need to go back to your husband and you need to ask him for forgiveness for the way that you talked to him. Now, if a woman comes to mind and you know that this is the woman who's going to say, you don't have to put up with that, that's the woman you don't go to. Mm -hmm. Or if there's a guy friend in your life and you know this is the guy friend that says you can do way better than her, that's the guy friend you don't go to. So you go to the person who's going to lead you to repentance and, and humility. My last session today was started at 1.30 with a couple uh, who came in who have filed divorce papers, 90-day wait period. And I said, well, what brings you in? And they said, we really don't want to get divorced. And I went, wow, that says there's commitment still here. And if there's still commitment, there's hope. So if you're in a spot that you're really hurting, but yet you're still here, you got hope. And if your hope is in Christ and you look at each other and go, I'm not going anywhere, you'll make it because it might take some time. Some history, yeah, I mean, the tools are there, but as you pray through it and you put the tools to work, because it is work. <laughs> it's working through the hard stuff that gets you to the good stuff. And it is interesting with some of the research that comes back out of the Gottman Institute that of perpetual issues, there are about 69% of issues that are never going to go away. So that means you got to learn to live with you're them. In, you're in good company. <laughs> there, there are issues, but that doesn't mean that they become so much of a perpetual gridlock that you don't learn to how to use that pain to be an adhesive. Because when you work through the pain, and I sit through and see this, and time and time again, where people are bleeding, but they... they reframe the pain and allow it to pull them together rather than to adverse and push them apart. And that is work. And so again, circling your life around Christ and understanding the resources are there, but you have to put the work in. And if you're committed, you'll make it. That's great. And again, we have about 20 minutes left. You guys can still text in a few questions if there's something that's coming to mind as we go through this. And then everybody else from 435 is going to be out at the tables, again, with resources and things to, um, to, to continue the conversation on and help give you some more tools to take home after this. Uh, Mike and Lori, you guys were talking. You did the, the marriage physical um, in your breakout session. Can you do a quick overview of just like the analogies that you used because somebody had another suggestion for one you missed, but I want to kind of give everyone that wasn't in your session, uh, uh, you know, just an overview real quickly of the, of the analogies that you used in the physical. Okay, so now I'm you, you know that our breakout was an hour long, right? No, I know. Just a, just a couple. Like, just run through one or two so people get a, a sense of what, I'm what you're talking all about. I'm thinking the things we missed. That's all I can think oh, of. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that Mike thought so, of this one and you vetoed it. So we, we'll just go we with talked, that. We talked about how um, it's important to uh, marinate your mind on the things that are lovely and that are good and that are pure. Uh, from Philippians, we talked about James 1.19, using your ears and your mouth in the right way, and that is um, slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to be angry. Um, we talked about uh, where your treasure is, there where your heart will be also, and all of the things that encompass that. Um, we talked about, um, Paul tells us to have sex all the time, pray, and then have more sex. How could any, what did we miss? We did miss the GI tract. Yeah. 
Even though I'm the I guest said you're a gastroenterologist. Yep. So this was an RN that wrote in. Um, okay. Said she liked it, and but it's like maybe that ran out of time. But she thought the bowels and renal system were a great example of not holding on to crap like unforgiveness and bitterness. <laughs> and by eliminating that, that would not you know help to not have it doesn't so it doesn't constipate your marriage. Yes. So I was again. I was that a GI nurse? Actually? I don't know, but I figured you probably brought that up at home and Lori nixed it in the note session. But and then was wondering if there was anything else you guys didn't get to. But I <laughs> no, but appreciate I, that. I one. don't think I need to expound on that. Actually, that's that was very well I said. A, that was very well said. As a said. GI, I knew yeah. you would. Um, yeah. Last year, Mike's stuff. GI stuff came up at that conference. It's like it every did. Way FM conference we have to talk about Mike's GI. I know. Stuff. Well, I mean, that? it's a specialty. It is. Okay. All right. Just comes uh, with him. <laughs> Years of it. Coming out. <laughs> oh man! All right, here's one. Uh, another one. This: uh, How can a wife help a husband be a better spiritual leader? So I will. Uh, yeah. I was trying not to answer questions earlier because I want to bank my time to yeah. try to answer this one. <laughs> so, <laughs> ladies, I want to tell you: You would not believe how many men are terrified to pray with their wives. You would not believe how many men are terrified to crack the Word of God open before their families. I've had men come to me after conferences and tell me that I'm the exact man that they were describing whose biggest fear is to read the Bible with their wives because they won't know what to say or to pray with their wives because they're afraid that they're not going to sound as good as that guy on the radio or the pastor at their church. And so, ladies, what your husband needs is your encouragement. I don't care if he fumbles every single word he says when he prays or he reads the Bible. You reach over and you put your hand on his leg and you thank him for being such a godly man. Because if you have a husband who will read the word with you, that puts you in like the point zero 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 one percent of wives out there. I don't care if he mispronounces every single word, if he can't answer any of the questions and all he does is he just reads some of the verses and then closes the Bible and says, that's it. You look him in the eyes and you thank him for being such a godly man. You tell him that was the best Bible study you've ever had. <laughs> uh, when Katie and I first got together, I really wanted to impress her. And so I was thinking about what I was going to teach. And so I came up with this Bible study that was going to uh, reveal parallels between Kings and Chronicles and Isaiah. And it made a lot of sense in my mind, but it was probably the most confusing <laughs> Bible study that was ever taught. And so when we finished, like, uh, four hours later... <laughs> I don't think that it made me look impressive. I think it just made me look weird. <laughs> and so I thought, well, that was, you know, a swing and a miss. I'll be surprised if she ever wants to read the Bible with me again. And then later I heard her on the phone with her best friend, and she didn't know I was listening. And she said, I'm just so thankful to have a man that will read the Bible with me. That This is what I've always wanted. And she's always acted that way. And I know lots of our Bible studies have been boring and tedious and and there's things that I can't answer, and there's questions my kids have that I could have fielded better, but, you know, Kitty has just always encouraged me. She helps round up the kids. Um, I think, ladies, if you look up to your husband, then he'll want to be the husband that he thinks you think he is, if that makes sense. <laughs> and so your husband is going to live up to what you think he is, or he's going to live down to who you think he is. And so I can tell you there's decisions in my life when, when I'm tempted at times, I mean, I'd like to think that I want to please the Lord, but one of the, one of the biggest encouragements to me is I think I, I, I want to be the man that Katie thinks I am. I want to live up to what she thinks I am as a husband. And so, ladies, in, encourage your husbands. They're, they're, it's hard to be a spiritual leader in the home. There's so much weight on their shoulders, and there's, the world is against them. And, and, you know, the world makes husbands seem bumbling and foolish. Every show, every book, every... every um, thing ever, that the media puts out is all about husbands being incompetent and inept and a woman has to do it because a man can't and that's the world that we're living in and so what ladies what your husbands really need is they really need your encouragement and he's not probably going to do bible study like you would so sometimes i feel like wives are like i just want him to do this and i'm thinking you really just want to like step inside his body and have it be what you, how you would lead a Bible study. Maybe he's just going to read one proverb or maybe he's just going to do something simple. And he's a pastor. Our Bible study is a mess. We have seven kids, 11 and under. You can imagine what it looks like. And Tom, sometimes I tell him, I want to take pictures of kids falling off couches, crying, so-and-so is still touching the other one and annoying this person. And 
Um, but You're all crying. I'm crying. <laughs> no. Um, and so it's not in the power of the man anyway. The power is in the word of God, right? And so if we can just trust God that his word is, is what's powerful and not have to worry about this fancy thing, all we do is just open the Bible and read it together and talk about it. It's nothing fancy. And just an encouragement to the men, we had one family come in, suicidal teenage daughter, um, ended up getting pregnant, just these terrible things. And he went home and read the word. Oh, and she was atheist. He went home and read the word, just opening the Bible and reading it. And that daughter said that was the most peace they've ever had in their home. And she couldn't wait for those evenings when he would read the word. And sadly, he quit after one week. And you can't tell me there's no spiritual, that there's not a spiritual battle. Satan does not want men to simply open the Bible and read it with their family. And the, the other thing I would say to encourage your husband regarding being a spiritual leader in the home, I've had, I've been asked, what do I do if my husband makes the wrong decision? It's not a question of if your husband makes the wrong decision. <laughs> it's a question of what to do when your husband makes the wrong decision because we're fallible. We're not perfect. And so when your husband makes the wrong decision and he already feels bad enough about what he did, he doesn't need you to come and kick him when he's down and make him feel even worse because that's really going to make him not want to lead in the future. And so what he really needs is your encouragement. And so there was one time I had a nice, secure, tenured position as a school teacher in California, and I switched districts for a number of reasons I don't need to get into, but I lost my tenure, and then the economy crashed, and I lost my job. And I had to go home and face Katie. We, she was pregnant. I lost my our medical insurance, and I knew that I wasn't going to get hired in another school district because nobody was hiring because basically everyone was laying off teachers. And while I had an amount of experience in one district, when I switched to the Southern District, I was a brand new teacher. And so I was terminated with the other two teachers because they, I was only my, my second year there. So anyway, in this real vulnerable low moment of my life, when I really didn't want to have to face my pregnant wife and tell her that I lost my job, I drove home and I saw Katie and there's a lot of, a lot of things she could have said to me at that time. She could have said, you know, you're the spiritual leader of our home and you pray and you end up unemployed. You know, you, you, next time you better fast a little bit. <laughs> I mean, this is what you do for our family. I, you had a good-paying job and insurance, and now I'm pregnant, and we've got nothing, and that's, that's your, what your spiritual leadership looks like. And I'll just never forget. She just looked at me. We were laying in bed. She put her head on my chest, and she just said, I'm so excited to see what the Lord is going to do. And there wasn't, wasn't anything else in my life at that time that could have made me feel uh, better than what she said. I think one of the simple things and. Uh, of encouragement to that. I know my wife's done, and it's been on and off through our relationship. Again, we've always talked about we all have ups and downs and who's closer and who's not. Is just simply asking me to pray, hey, will you pray? You know, that's a, that's a simple, non-threatening, encouraging way to move forward. And that's, you know, we're laying in bed, not going to sleep, just, you know, laying there trying to get some, hey, can you, can you pray? We're sitting at dinner, hey, can you, can you pray before dinner tonight? And it's like, oh, yeah, I can do that. And then after a few times of that, now I'm, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and pray. Now, is that okay? You know, so it, it just creates that habit. Um, and I think along with, with reading and praying is uh, another simple way to do that and ask. Um, another question we had from someone. Uh, in one session, we were told love is a skill, not an emotion. Uh, love is a choice. How does that tie in with unconditional love? Is it possible as imperfect humans to have unconditional love with our spouses? Yep. Uh, it said with, with our spouses. Yeah. yeah. This wasn't said in our session, but I think that it uh, rings true. I think we. I think our society has defined love wrong. We all think of love as romance and, uh, you know, hot and sexy. And, you know, that's good for the honeymoon period. But shortly after the honeymoon period, whether it's, a, you know, a few months to a few years, uh, reality sets in and you find out that you've married a person that's not like you and they irritate you. And that's when you, you redefine love as commitment. So you're committed to one another and you're going to stay and you're going to work through it together because you made a vow and you're committed. And really, in my view, that's what love, unconditional love is commitment. And it's commitment not just to be together, to be miserable. It's a commitment to change and to improve the relationship so that, so that it will ultimately be something that reflects, you know, the Lord in your life and would be a beacon for, for other people to look at. 
if you're a Christian and you're miserable in your marriage and you're fighting with your spouse, you know, what kind of witness is that for somebody else? I mean, they can do that and be heathen. I mean, so what separates us as Christians if we can't be committed to one another to bring the best, uh, best out in each other uh, as we move forward through life together? Well, and I think, um, I mean, the question is, it's a great question. Can an imperfect person have a perfect love is essentially what it is because um, unconditional love is, is agape love and and um, uh, that is the love that Christ demonstrated to us. Now, can we have that exact same love? Uh, we can never attain that, but our goal should be to do that. And, and so I, I guess my answer from a human standpoint would be we can have unconditional, or we should attain, try to attain unconditional love uh, with our spouse, which is a love that is, that is not asking anything in return. It is, it's, it's a servant's heart. It, it's, it's the epitome of submission, which is what Scott um, talked about, that we are, to, we are to be more like Christ. And as we're more like Christ, uh, we'll be better partners to our spouse. But our first and foremost job is to be more like Christ. And he exhibited unconditional love to us. We need to do that to our spouse. So I think yes in a human sense. Am I wrong? Scott, Scott knows the answer. <laughs> okay. What, what should I talk about? Okay, so the only time agape is used in Scripture uh, is for two relationships. God's love for the world or Christ's love for the church and then man's love for darkness. When it says man loves darkness more than he loves light. And so none of us are ever going to be able to love with the kind of agape love that God commands. But just like Mike said perfectly, we're striving for that. That's the standard that Christ sets. It's unconditional. It's sacrificial, which is why Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And it doesn't contain the word if, right? It doesn't say if she this or if, if she that. It's not conditional on how our wives act or treat us or respond to us or respect us or submit to us. We're expected to love our wives regardless. And I appreciate what Al said, that love is very convoluted in this world. It's defined for us in 1 Corinthians 13, and it doesn't look like emotions or feelings at all. It's a bunch of actions. It's a bunch of verbs. It's not adjectives. So love is, and it doesn't say, when you have that little feeling and you want the other person to hang up first on the phone. You know, it doesn't say anything like that. It just lists all these actions. That's what love is to, to do that um, towards someone else. And I, I'm going to regret something if I don't say this regarding a previous question. Can I go back to something? Yeah, sure. Things? Okay. So the question regarding spiritual leadership, I, I just want you all to consider something that I'm pretty certain of. There's a whole bunch of homes and couples in this area who heard the advertisements for this conference. And there are a number of wives who turned to their husbands and said, let's go to that conference please, honey, can we go to that conference? And guess what those husbands said? They said, no. If you're sitting here, ladies, your husband said yes. And he came to this conference with you today. And he could be any number of other places right now, but he chose to invest in his marriage and come here and be here with you. And so I would just say, if you're wondering how to help your husband with his spiritual leadership, if you haven't already thanked him for giving up his Saturday to come to this marriage conference with you, please make sure you do that at some point. Put your hand on his leg and say, thank you so much, honey. I know there's lots of, yeah, give the husbands who brought their wives here a hand. <clears throat> thank you. Thank you four ladies out there who clapped for your husbands. <laughs> so in all seriousness, ladies, if you haven't thanked your husband for bringing you here yet, you just remember there's a whole bunch of other wives who asked their husbands to bring them, and those husbands said no, and your husband gave up his Saturday to come here. And when you thank him for that, that'll encourage him in his spiritual leadership. Too. And kudos to the husbands whose idea it was to come, as we saw from the well, there's some guys and it was splits that was yeah, the guy's I, idea to I, come. I was going to so bring great. that up. There was a lot of blue. There was on yeah. that one. Yeah, that was good. All right, we are running close to time. So if there was any other questions that you guys had that we didn't get to, uh, I know Gil and Brenda, there was one specifically about discipline and step families and things like that. These guys are going to be out at the tables. Go talk to them uh, directly on a couple of these things. Um, and again, the, with some of the questions that were involving, you know, I don't, uh, you know, how many times can I keep bringing this up before, you know, and it's not being heard um, there's a couple of those questions in different areas and, you know, how, is, how do I not take that personally or something like that? Uh, I just want everybody now 
to to commit to to listening with fresh ears after this. I think, and I think we're we're all in a different place. Hopefully, uh, you know, mentally and spiritually and emotionally than we were when we walked in this morning. And now we have some new tools to to help us with that. And just know that that again, now is the time for conversations and for openness. And um, let, let's try to continue to to hear hear each other better than maybe we've we've been hearing and acknowledge that. And that's okay to acknowledge that too. Say, you know, I have heard you say that, but I haven't been, been listening and, and taking that seriously. And so now I think we can do that. And I so. think, Paul, on every one of our, we all have a website and on every one of our websites, we have ways to email us or call us. And I know that every one of us would be willing to take those emails or calls. Yeah, and we're going to send a follow-up email to everybody here uh, with a couple things on that uh, in, in the in the next week. One is a survey that we hope you'll take, just general thoughts on the conference. And, and as we go throughout things, uh, probably a little later in the week, we're going to send links that we have videos of the main sessions that we'll be able to have for you guys to go and back. You can watch, watch again together if you feel you missed something, um, which would be great. And then links to everybody's websites, to some of the resources, some of the notes from the, the sessions and things. So you guys all be able to come back and revisit this too because I was talking to somebody in the hallway that was like, hey, are, are you going to, you know, is that going to be a thing because I know we're going to leave and I'm going to forget, you know, 80% of this because this was drinking from a fire hose today, <laughs> you know, in a lot of different areas of your marriage. So uh, it is, thank you, thank you so much for coming. Again, stick around and talk to, to these wonderful people and to each other afterwards. The prayer room is still going to be open too. If you don't have a church home, um, there's a service here tonight that, that starts at six o'clock. So you guys can uh, st stick around for that as well. So. Can I say thank you to Way FM Very for good, putting Mike. this on good, yeah. and for Thrivent for helping support that. Thanks, yeah, Paul. definitely. Uh, yeah, thanks to everybody and the sponsors and Thrivent Financial. If you haven't talked to them, go talk to them. Um, you know, they they had a great session on money, and that's always an issue <laughs> with ev with everybody. We can all do a little better, but talk to them and get some information out there, and and hopefully some of that that tension in your marriage might be relieved too, because they offer a lot of great stuff. I'm gonna ask if Scott could pray for us uh, before we get okay. get on with our Father, like Paul said, so much information went out today, and we pray that it would be planted deeply in the hearts of those in attendance. We ask for receptive soil that the, the seed would go into and produce fruit in our marriages and in our lives. I do thank you for the husbands that um, brought their wives here, and I thank you for the wives that came with their husbands, Lord, and we ask if for no other reason than to be good representatives, uh, witnesses of Christ in the church, that you would give us marriages that reflect that. And so I continue just to petition to those two primary commands, Lord, that husbands can be to their wives what Christ is to the church and that the, and that the wives can be to their husbands what the church is to be to Christ. And thank you for each person that was here, Lord. And uh, the, give everyone a safe trip home and as they uh, go home tonight, give them a restful evening and a good day of worship tomorrow. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, guys. Thank you so much.